Welcome back to The Wine Show. You're with Jill Upton. And next up, we have Andrew Corrigan, who is sharing the state with me today. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good morning, Jillian. I'm well, thanks. Lovely to talk with you this morning. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Andrew, I've been following you for uh, I've been following you for quite a few months now through LinkedIn and different platforms, and I love your website. I oh, love thank, it. Thank you very I much. love <laughs> the virtual wine tasting component. Um, and it's, uh, of course, the private. I'll go into all of this later because everyone needs to jump on to Andrew's uh, website. Uh, but let's let's start from the beginning. You are one of, I think it's like 431 master wines uh, in the world. And um, tell us, how what's it like, you know, the training, uh, become, becoming an MW? What did it mean to you? Oh, it was a big change for me. Um, Master Wine is a qualification that you attain by passing exams and it's all done by the Institute of Masters of Wine that are based in London. Now, the qualification itself is quite international now and there are lots of Masters of Wine in particularly the US, but they're sprinkled through Europe and um, Asian countries and um, in Australia there's, well, it varies a bit as people come and go a bit in Australia, but there's um, perhaps 14, 15, 16 Masters of Wine in Australia. But mm. you fundamentally, to get the qualification, you have to pass the exams. And the exams are really rigorous. They they are set up to be where it really is, as the name suggests, it's a master's level. So you've pretty much have had to have done some sort of bachelor level or undergraduate degree sort of uh, uh, training or course prior to it, you know, it may not actually necessarily be universally bachelor, university bachelor's um, degree, but something of that ilk. And um, that's the way the whole system's set up. And it includes some um, exams where you write essays. So it's very old fashioned exam stuff. Mm. You know, you have to, it's a closed book exam. You have to write essays um, and uh, you have to also do tasting exams where there are three exams, each exam of 12 wines. And the wines are from all over the world. And they give you some hints, but essentially you've got to identify a lot about the wines um, and write that down. And that's all done without you having any clue on the identity of the wines. They're just served in masked decanters, you know. So that was, I suppose, one of the most terrifying parts of it when I was getting um, involved. I'd, I'd figured out the theory part already because my own wine training wasn't too bad. And um, I, you know, I was sort of um, reasonably um, informed about a lot of topics in the wine industry because the exams touch on um, uh, uh, viticulture, um, vinification, winemaking, maturing wine. Mm -hmm. Then they touch on um, distribution and um, sales management. And then there's a sort of a wine and cultural section as well, um, wine and society. And there's essays on all those uh, different areas and you've got to be able to write fairly well in all those topics. Um, there's also a thesis that you have to do and the thesis topics are quite wide and they give you a topic to do which is not your area of expertise. So I'd come from a background of wine distribution and marketing and um, when I was given my thesis topic, it was a real hands-on topic of the um, intricacies of um, temperature of red wine fermentation. So I had to go and do 
um, you know, hands-on experience in wineries in order to do my thesis. And they do that sort of thing deliberately. So it's yeah, quite a process to become a master of wine. Oh, I'm, I'm just listening to, you know, I've, I've never actually had the process described in, in such detail. It's uh, They really do make it hard for you, but I guess that's why, you know, there's, there's less than 500 people in the world with this with this achievement so um so wow so but you say you're fairly good at at the writing of the essays and that sort of side of it it was when it came to the uh, the tasting the blind tasting that you that you really freeze up a bit um are you are you far better are, are you now when you when you when you are presented with a blind tasting i do you nail it or is it still a little something in you that you go this is the true test <laughs> no no i um i uh, now, I, I think I say to people now, and I think this is probably largely true, that even though I passed my Master of Wine exams many years ago, if I had to sit the exam again tomorrow, I think I'd probably pass the tasting now relatively well because the light bulb came on yes. back, back when I was doing it, you know. And, right. um, you know, and um, I, I remain, I think I remain a fairly good taster. I've, um, you know, I do... I used to do a lot of wine show judging. I don't do so much anymore, mm. but I've kept up all of the um, wine appreciation, uh, you know, um, courses and so on that I present. Sure. And you mentioned before I do the ones um, I do them online on Sunday evenings. That they came about through COVID, of course, because people couldn't go to wine yes. appreciation courses because all that slurping and spitting out of wine and everything <laughs> was a great way to spread COVID around. So we started up doing um, the wine tastings on Sunday evenings where you can zoom in and most people get the same wines as me and so on. But in all those wine appreciation courses that I've done over the years, um, I've always been fairly good at, uh, you know, tasting the wine and describing the wine. And I've certainly done some seminars over the years. I've, For example, I've presented Australian wine in California and in London a number of times where the classic Australian wines are lined up and in fact, the one in London, I was presenting to a group of other masters of wine, and I was able to pretty much pick up each wine and describe it without needing to know what it was. You know, I had a right. bit of an idea of the list, but because the wines were so distinctive, you know, I knew I had a Kunawara Cabernet or a yes. Margaret River Cabernet, or you just were talking about Hunter Valley wines. I mean, they're so distinctive, so I was able to describe the Hunter Valley Semillon or the Hunter Valley Shiraz mm. fairly readily, and I found yes. I could do that you know, okay, so it's just a bit of a skill. I find in wine appreciation that everybody's got the skill. I mean, people say, oh, you must have been born a great taster, you know, you must be born like that. And, you know, I'm no good, I can't get the hang of it, I don't know. And that's just not true. Everybody can do it. You just have to be shown a little. Um, as, you know, Adrian was talking earlier, he said, um, I don't really go that much on describing whether the wine's got you know, particular red cherry or particular flavours. Yes, it's more about texture. It's, it's more important about the style and the persistence and the feel of the wine and, and judging the quality and so on. And even though I can describe wines pretty readily, I choose pretty much not to, either on the back labels of, you know, my own wines or um, when I'm describing wines to wine appreciation, it's much more that you can recognise the style of the wine and what food matching or what occasion matching and then the quality, you know, are you happy for the quality of the wine for the price you paid, that sort of stuff. Sure, sure. And that's that's what I generally concentrate on these days and uh, especially in all the wine appreciation things that I do. So you, you actually are, you're agreeing with Adrian's point, yep. you know, keep out, keep out the blueberry, blackberry and 
Cassis, et cetera, and, uh, and, and just talk about the other elements, which actually, you know, when you say it like that, it does make a lot of sense. So do you think that's the natural way that people are moving in, in the wine tasting sort of realm, moving away from those specific characters to the more overarching experience of the wine? I guess, is that, would that be the way to call it? Probably. Oh, <laughs> probably not, actually. Yeah. I, think, oh, okay. I think bluffing <laughs> abounds in wine um, it's just the bluffing style has changed right so um i'm i'm a, an older person and i i learned <laughs> um i learned I, well, I first started getting influenced about wine from my father in the 1960s when i was a kid growing up and then i really sort of got into it a fair bit through the mm. 1970s and 80s which was i suppose i was just somebody who grew with the australian wine industry because that's when it grew from being a domestic fairly narrow industry to being very uh, diverse and very international, actually. Mm. And um, it was, um, you know, it was a, a wonderful place to be. But back in that day, the t typical wine bluffer was the was usually an older guy, you know, uh, with, you know, with the red nose and they were the <laughs> sort of cellar master at the beefsteak and no, no, no disparaging beefsteak and burgundy clubs, but, you know, that type. And... Now it's kind of moved on. Now one of the biggest bluffers that you'll get out there are some of the sommeliers, you know, who are, who are kind of, uh, you know, they've suddenly drifted into the thing and they're instant experts and some of the rubbish that you hear, you know. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> We're so, getting controversial. I like it. It is. Oh, yeah. So bluffing abounds. And uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you've memorised, you know, half a dozen quick little phrases on wine, you can trot them out even if you haven't tasted the wine or whatever. You know that, you know, the sorts of rubbish that, you know, people say. And unfortunately, black currant, cherry, bits and pieces, prop up a fair bit. Now, I sort of say a little bit of that, but only for the mainstream thing. You know, I think it's important to note whether the, the wine is very forward in its fruitiness or not. You know, and to that extent, I might say something like, you know, this red wine has got a lovely, forward, rich, you know, black cherry, red fruits aroma. But that's as far as I'll go, you know, and then I'll start right. talking about the palate and whatever. But, you know, we've all got the um, the people that can go a lot more than that, you know, talking about which particular type of cherry and maybe there's the Italian maraschino cherry element as well on this. <laughs> and the other one that they go into, which is another bluffing thing, is a quasi-science of food matching. You know, the people get really worried, you know, the precise food to go with the precise wine. And that's just not true. Um, the Most wines go with most foods, and you can be fairly confident. Now, there are some clashes, and if you avoid the clashes, you're pretty right. Yes. So, you know, um, acidic, fresh, young white wine doesn't go with red meat. Well, that's a no-brainer. Most people know that. Um, yep. And... Um, Anything with a lot of um, chilli in it usually doesn't go with red wine at all, but yeah. might go with some white wine. So if you avoid a few of the typical clashes, after that you can be pretty right. But you do hear of all this quasi-science, and I find in my wine appreciation that is something that really worries people. And then people also get worried about, oh, I can't describe that red, black, cherry thing. I, and I said, well, you don't have to. You don't yeah. just, there's other things that is all you need to know about, about the wine, you know, and uh, that's what I concentrate on in when I do the wine appreciation courses. So when you're talking about the wine appreciation courses, is this, is this like the W set mentoring is, or is that, is that a separate thing? Now, so I do a number of different courses. Um, 
Um, so I do WSET mo um, monitoring. So that's the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, which is another UK institution. And it pretty much seems to be the main qualification that people seek all over the world if they're going into wine retailing or sommelier type jobs. Mm -hmm. And um, the WSET has various rungs up the ladder, the certificates one, two and three, and then there's a diploma. And the certificates three and the diploma are getting quite advanced. And um, in fact, the Institute of Masters of Wine suggests that you should at least have a WSET diploma these days before you attempt to become a candidate for the Masters of Wine. Sure. Um, back when I was doing the studies, um, the WSET wasn't very strong in Australia, but it's always been the, the, the UK on-trade main qualification. And now it's quite popular in Australia. So quite a few people are getting to the Certificate 3 and the diploma level. I, I mentor them a bit. Right. But I do lots of other courses. I do. I, I mostly enjoy doing the general wine appreciation um, courses. And um, I do those. Um, well, I still do the ones by Zoom, but I do them in person as well. And uh, mm. I'm sort of based between Brisbane and the um, Granite Belt, which is where my winery is. But I travel a little. And I, I, up until recently, I was teaching the Masters of Wine course quite a bit and used to get... Um, trips to California or to Bordeaux or to London to teach the course. Oh, lovely. So, which, was, which was an interesting exercise. I bet it was. It's all going to happen again. So just just on that, I would, I would love to attend one of your wine appreciation courses, um, obviously in person, given that I'm in the Gold Coast, that's fairly easy. How often do you run them? So um, the courses are um, pretty much at the moment just coming back after COVID. They're normally um, a couple of nights sort of monthly that's mm -hmm. the in-person okay. ones and they tend to be in brisbane although i do some um, also up at the winery up on the granite belt um best way to keep an eye on those of course it's a it's a it's very complicated um but my web my website's just www.andrewcorrigan.com.au and uh, there's various things on there so i've got a selection of um wine appreciation um courses in person and also the ones that i do by zoom Excellent, because I'm going to sign up. But I actually have a few friends. I think I will. I will bring along. But look, <laughs> well, um, let, let's talk about your winery, um, Hidden Creek in the Granite Belt. Lovely wines. Obviously, I'm quite an ambassador for the uh, for Granite Belt and and Queensland wines on the whole. So, um, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about your winery and your wines? It's a fascinating district, the Granite Belt. It's in Queensland, but it's only a little bit over the border. Mm. So it's actually got probably more in common for its location and geography and climate with places like Glen Innes and Armadale and um, those top of the Great Dividing Range cold regions. So yes. our top vineyard is um, just under the 1,000-metre altitude contour, which is pretty high. So on average, we're the highest in Australia for a wine region, although having said that, there are some vineyards at Orange that are a little higher than us. Mm -hmm. But when you think about the absolute coldest part of the King Valley in Victoria, which is where all the grapes are grown to make the sparkling wines, um, they're about 820, 830 metres there. Well, we're 1,000 metres, so we're mm -hmm. higher again. And about every three to four years, we get a bit of snow. We certainly get sleet every year. 
Um, I was there on, I'm back in Brisbane at the moment, but I was there on um, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday this week, and uh, each day there the maximum was uh, either six or seven degrees. That's the maximum temperature. Yes. And that's with, the, that's with the blue sky and sun out too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a cold place, but it's got, it has a lot to do with, uh, there are regions that do that kind of climate. So an inland, high-altitude, rocky, arid, um, very cold, gets hot in January, February, but otherwise it's pretty cold. So places like the northern Rhone Valley, the northern high plains of Spain, um, Priorat, which is also in Spain, there are a number of regions around the world that have that kind of climate, and that's to a certain extent why parts of the Granite Belt, particularly where Hidden Creek's located, do the grape varieties from those regions pretty well. So we do yes. particularly... Um, Shiraz in various forms. We have Viognier, Marsan, uh, Tempranillo is very good yes. for us. Um, yeah. Those sorts of varieties that come from those locations I just um, read out. If you go from um, from where up on the um, Yuki Road part, which is particularly high up, and there's a group of us all there together, and, and if people visit the Granite Belt, you can go and see the little group of wineries in that particular part. Mm. But if you go back down to the Ballandine sort of village, which is about 20 minutes south of Stanthorpe, which is a town that most people know. If you go back to Ballandine and just go to the wineries around there, they're a little lower down and it's a little kinder in climate there. So mm. it turns out that even though they're only 10 minutes from us, a lot of the producers there can do the uh, Italian varieties. And yes. so the alternative varieties, mostly Italian, but also some Eastern European varieties and so on, are grown there and they're pretty successful. And, and some nice Cab Savs, actually. Cabernet Sauvignon tends to do better in the little bit further south down the Berber, where they've got vineyards with western slopes and so they get a lot of fair bit of sunshine late in the season. So it's a sort of a um, – it's very difficult to throw a blanket over the whole of the Granite Belt region. In fact, you can't. So in a short region, you go from the um, area where we are the Yuki Road, back down to Ballandine, and, and now you've got all these alternative interesting varieties. And so much so that um, people um, people refer to the uh, to all these alternative varieties. Um, there's a saying, people say they're the strange birds, and we have a strange bird trail. And as it turns out, um, Hidden Creek doesn't really do the strange birds that much, but a lot of producers up there have a big success with it. And that's it's another sort of interesting part of anybody who wants to visit the Granite Belt to see all this yes. variety. Well, look, I'm as I mentioned before, I'm definitely ambassador for the Granite Belt and for Queensland wines because I think that they produce world-class wines, which I know you agree with me. And we just need to get more and more people along here now that uh, borders are open and everything's free for travel to uh, to come and not just visit the Sunshine Coast, but uh, come and visit our wine areas, the South Burnett Wine Region, the, the you know the Granite Belt, Stanthorpe. It's uh, it's um it's a pretty special place. So Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. What I love is I do love to learn something new every day, and I just learned so much for what you just <laughs> imparted. So thank you. And hardly hardly surprising that uh, that you are a master of wine. I very much look forward to meeting you in person, and I am serious about signing up for a wine appreciation course. I love um, <laughs> yeah, I think it would be a really, really good for me and um, it'd be lovely to meet you in person anyway. So, look, thank you so much. Uh, what, what do you have plans for today? 
Well, I actually am doing a Zoom this evening. So um, I've got a right. group of uh, wine people joining in. That's one of those regular ones that, that, that grew out of the COVID movement that we're talking about. So there's a bit of wine activity on, yes, later in the day for me. So I've got to um, get all organised for that. But there's a few, a few other uh, chores and things to be done on a Sunday. So Oh, well, no rest for the wicked. <laughs> I'm sure you do it very well. Andrew, thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, we'll Julian. See you soon. Love, love you Bye. Talk. Bye.